This is the Uncommon Wisdom Podcast, a podcast companion to the Substack newsletter, Uncommon Wisdom, that helps listeners uncover unusual wisdom through conversations and interviews with some of the most interesting people around. Please like, share, and subscribe. It's free with new content every week. Enjoy the show. I'm pleased and excited to be joined today by Professor Victor Davis Hansen. Professor Hansen is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's also the author of the recent book, The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. Professor Hansen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to begin uh, with a theme in your book that I found over and over again that I was surprised by. So many people, I think when they think of World War II, conceive of the Axis powers and Nazi Germany in particular as something like an overwhelming military force which could have easily won the war. Uh, however, in your book, you discuss various uh, disparities that favored the Allies over the Axis powers. Things like GDP, population size, military output, number of pilots. Could you talk to us a bit about those disparities and um, perhaps when and if the Axis powers knew about them? Yeah, I think the Axis powers of Japan, Germany, and Italy were especially well equipped given their earlier rearmament for successful border wars. They had large, relatively large populations, Italy and especially Germany in Europe. They had good locations, geography, and they had militarized. In other words, they had air forces and large armies compared to the opposition. In some case, most cases, uh, and when they didn't have superiority, such as the French had better tanks and a larger army, actually, 1940, but they had a greater will in the case of Germany, to readdress the verdict of World War I. Same was true of Japan and in Asia. Compared to China or Southeast Asia or the colony, the European colonies, which would soon be orphaned with the loss of France and Netherlands uh, in the European wars of 1940, Japan had enormous superiority in terms of a uh, accessible, applicable military force. The problem was that they won these border wars so quickly. In the case of Italy, they had taken most of central North Africa, expanding from Libya into Tunisia, Somalia, Ethiopia, and in the case of Germany, Norway, Denmark, Luxembourg, Belgium, France, Greece, Yugoslavia, most of the Balkans, Crete, Poland, that they confused that early victory with the global war. And so then they found themselves no-win situation, starting with Germany and the Blitz. They didn't realize that if Britain could not be bullied into a, an agreement, they did not have air superiority, and they surely didn't have naval superiority, and therefore they couldn't invade, and they found that out. And then Hitler ostensibly, I don't know if he was telling the truth, but he said he went into Russia in part not just for living, living space and to solve the Jewish problem and to get resources, but to force Britain to capitulate. Kind of a strange attitude. But once they went into the Soviet Union and once Germany and Italy declared war in the United States and once Japan declared war, then 
the entire schema of border wars changed and the, the, the question was recalibrated. And that was the allies now of Soviet Union, United States and Britain had three times the population, 10 times the GDP, and they could field among them about 35 million combatants in uniform. And that was three times larger than the German and Japanese, two and a half times larger. So the question is, would the allies do that? In other words, would they live up to their potential and mobilize for a victory over these Axis powers, or would they negotiate? And by 1942, it was pretty clear they were not going to negotiate. The Soviet Union didn't give up, and Britain was not bullied after the Blitz into negotiating. And the United States, after a disaster at Pearl Harbor and six months of naval disasters until Midway, did not give up. And then it was just a question, how long would the Axis hold out? And to what degree did the Allies want to spend blood and treasure, not just to beat the enemy, but to humiliate them, defeat them, and demand an unconditional surrender. And that was a pretty hard thing to, to pull off. But the, and they did all of that in less than six years, in the case of Britain, starting the war and ending the war. So that, that was pretty much the framework of the war. And at the, by 1945, what I mean is that the United States had a larger GDP than all the belligerents put together on both sides. It had a navy that had more ships than all the ships in the world put together. It uh, was producing 95% of the world's aviation fuel, about 70% of its oil. It built more trucks than all of the world put together, more airframes than all the world put together. And then even its allies, like Britain was producing more airframes in Germany, more trucks in Germany. The Brit Britain and its empire were producing more military equipment than was Germany, except for artillery platforms and about the same number of tanks. Otherwise, in trucks, guns, everything, it, it excelled Germany. The only thing that Germany could do that other countries, except the United States, could not was build submarines. But in terms of individual ships, they were still markedly deficient in the size of their fleets of all types of ship platforms. You mentioned um, success with border wars, and I know that, it, from my understanding, Hitler was obsessed with uh, breathing room. And I'm wondering why the Nazis didn't just settle to control continental Europe. Why attack Britain? Why go into Russia? If you could control Europe, you presumably could hold it for a while. You'd yeah. be something the United States and Russia would have to contend with in the long term. Can you speak to us a little bit about the hubris of the Axis powers? Yeah, I, I think. Once they controlled what is now the European Union, they immediately found that they had problems, and that is theirs was an exploitive economy in which they extracted resources and infrastructure and brought them back, including labor, to Germany. And people didn't like that. So when they took over French factories, char tank factories, to take one example, or Belgian uh, food processing plants, they never got them up to their pre-war levels of efficacy and efficiency. People just didn't cooperate, and there were so many small countries, and they were so densely populated, and uh, they were so transparent that they had a lot of trouble not, not controlling the population. They didn't have any problem with that, 
but they did have a problem making them productive. And then they were always worried that because they had not invested in long-term strategic bombing, they had made a lot of tragically flawed decisions in the 30s about the use of air power as tactical or dive bombing. They never built a single effective four-engine bomber, for example. And the British did, and they were afraid that the British could always bomb factories in, in the West. And then on, as far as the Jewish question, they always felt that if they were going to solve the, what they called the Jewish question, they would need to be out of range of British air power and out of the world's eye, and that meant the East. Then when they looked over to less densely populated Poland and Ukraine, and they saw these natural resources, they made a lot of strategic blunders in the sense that they looked back and they said, well, we knocked out the Soviet Union in two and a half years, 1917 and World War I, but we never knocked out France. This time around, we knocked out France in six weeks. So under that World War I calculus, it'll take three weeks to knock out the Soviet Union because we, we, in World War I, we defeated them and we annexed a million square miles for a year and they were much easier than France. So they thought that would be easier. Then that was confirmed and the uh, Finnish war of 1939 when the Soviet Union lost a half a million people and could not take Finland. And then furthermore, uh, when they divided up Poland in September 1939, the Soviets had real trouble reaching their dividing lines. The Germans got there within 10 days. The Soviets took, they came in two weeks late. It still took them three weeks. So Hitler had surmised based on that evidence that the Soviet Union would not fight well, they had never fought well, and uh, they were very valuable in the sense of their assets, their location. He could solve the Jewish problem, eliminate Jews, and nobody would know about it. It was far away from British air power. You couldn't be bombed, and no one really cared because the Soviet Union was so despised at all. And then the final thing was that he had, he had, Worried about the United States, but when Japan in, uh, attacked Pearl Harbor, then it was pretty clear that he thought that the Jap Japanese would occupy the United States fleet. It wouldn't be able to send people over to the continent. And although he had tricked the Japanese by the non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union for a year and a half, he felt eventually the Japanese would renounce their non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union and invade from the uh, from the East. They never did. They never intended to. They never got close. Hitler went from not wanting them to, to come in late and get the spoils to begging them to come in. So it was a disaster. It was a great mistake of the war attacking the Soviet Union. They got far more um, natural resources on credit from Stalin during their partnership than they ever stole during war. It was just ironic. Assuming that Hitler was right, that the um, the Japanese were going to occupy the United States to such a degree that the United States wouldn't pose a risk to Nazi Germany, and putting aside casualties, do you think the Allies could have beaten the Axis powers and Nazi Germany in particular without the help of the United States? Uh, I think they could have. The Allies, in the sense of the Soviet Union and Britain, could have avoided being invaded, but. They could not have defeated them and, and forced upon them unconditional surrender. And that's important to remember that 
although the Soviet Union killed three out, two out of three German soldiers. And it was a great cemetery of the Wehrmacht. Wehrmacht. It, it had no strategic bombing fleet. It had no U-boat fleet of any magnitude. It had no blue water navy. It could not fight in an expeditionary fashion, so it never really fought in the Pacific. It could not fight in Italy. It could not fight in North Africa. The British could, but they were they quickly found when they got to Burma, they were unable to lend a hand in the march toward Japan. They were burdened in uh, Malaysia and Burma. They needed over a half a million American soldiers to help them, and the empire was at its limits by 1943. And so again, what destroyed Japan were 2,500 B-29s, and what destroyed Germany was eventually Soviet manpower and American and British bombing and American supplies. We gave the Soviet Union 400,000 trucks, 20% of all of their strategic materials, 30% of their food, 40% of their strategic materials like aluminum for airframes. And without that, they could not have defeated, I don't think they could have defeated Germany. And if Germany was not fighting with us in surrogate theaters like Africa, Italy, or Normandy and had just concentrated on the Soviet Union, they would have won, I think, or at least not been defeated. It would have been a standoff. But I don't see how the Soviet Union could have defeated them without Lend-Lease and without taking pressure off of the, the German army by bombing and, and peripheral theaters. There are clearly lessons to be learned from World War II. And I'm wondering what lessons we should take going forward in the West, in particular democratic countries. If you look at even the resources as 1939, I mentioned that they were, they being the Axis, had long experience and success in border wars. But when you actually looked at respective uh, potentials and realities of the allies, that you look at the Soviet army or you look at a series of naval acts by Carl Vinson, and you look at the American fleet, which actually was bigger than the Japanese fleet if you add in the Atlantic and the Pacific American fleets, and you look at British sea power, there was no reason to adopt a tripartite strategy of British appeasement and American isolationism and then um, Soviet collaboration. But they were all in various degrees a result of World War One. And the United States had felt that it lost 120,000 men for nothing. Here was Europe fighting again. It did not want to base any troops there during the interwar period to deter Germany. It never occupied Germany. It never tried to reconstitute its government. It felt that the British Versailles Treaty was too onerous, which it wasn't. Wilson was misguided, I think, in the, the terms of Versailles. And the British never got over the Somme. And the French never got over Verdun, and they made the wrong calculations that they just couldn't do it again. And it was the irony of the war that the losers of World War I really wanted to redress the verdict, and the winners were terrified of doing that. And the Germans knew that, and so the Allies lost deterrence. Had the United States had 150,000 troops on French soil with 250 or 300,000 uh, British troops 
and had the United States had a squadron or six or seven squadrons of B-17s, Hitler would have never invaded France at that point. And so it was, a, I think, a combination of appeasement, isolationism and collaboration on the part of Stalin by, you know, when they were bombing Britain, they were doing it with Soviet oil. The Germans were. So it didn't. So the lesson was that deterrence is lost not just by physical realities, but by perceptions of willpower. And Hitler made the mistake that because his, the Allies wouldn't use their potentials or develop it further, therefore they were weak because they lacked the willpower. That was a wrong perception, but it was a logical one. Deterrence is a mixture of real power and hypothetical willingness to use it. And so the lesson is that Countries who feel that you can't or won't respond will do stupid things. Good examples is Iran right now. Iran is a very weak, bankrupt country. It's suffering from the COVID-19. It's got Soleimani. Its chief general was killed. It's in bankruptcy. It's Chinese patron. But it still feels that it can be aggressive and harass U.S. ships or it can still threaten and it does that because of the eight years, I think, from 2008 to 2017, we were committed to this strategy of incorporating Iran as a buffer against Israel and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states and the Iran deal. And they took the wrong lessons from it that we were weak, I think. And we weren't. It was just a different strategy. And now we're restored deterrence. But it's a very dangerous time because Iran may get into its head that the United States would never dare take out its infrastructure. In 24 hours, we could take out all of its power plants, all of its military bases, all of its transportation, all of its electrical grid and lose nobody and then never get near the Iranian soil. And they don't seem to know that. That's the danger when you lose a sense of deterrence. The book, The Second World Wars, How the First Global Conflict Was Fought and Won. The author, Professor Davis Hansen. Thank you, Professor, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.